everyone, and welcome to our next episode in our series, Devotional Mysticism and Plant Teachers. In today's episode, Rukmini Walker and I will be exploring trees and colonies of trees, the roots and the underground network of trees, and really how the spirits of trees can inform the way we think about community, our own spiritual lives, um, and our spiritual communities. So we'll be weaving all of this together today. You know, trees are part of a large interconnected community, and they not only interact with their own species, with other species. So, you know, I think Rukmini and I both really honor and love speaking about the power of diversity. And so this will come through in today's talk in how the trees interact with each other and and how they support diversity within the forests. So thank you so much, Rukmini, for being here with us today. Thank you so much. Let me begin with a few prayers as we do. Makiana Timarandasya, Gyananjana Salakaya, Chaksun Milatam Yenatas Maishi Gurave Namaha, Namaum Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutale, Shimate Pakti Vedanta Swamini Namane, Namaste Saraswate Deve Goravani Pracharine Nirvishesha Sunyavadi Paschatsedeshatarine Mukam Karoti Vachalam Pangalam Gayate Vidim Yatri Pastamaham Bandeshi Gurundi Matadanam Vanchaka Patarabhyascha Kripashindu Vaivacha Patitanam Pavanibhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namaha Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gradhar Srivasadipur Bhaktavindam Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So let's dive in. Let's dive into this exploration of trees and, you know, an interesting part of, you know, trees also in winter, because, you know, we often think about trees and their glory of their fruiting and their, you know, their, their large greenness. Um, but yeah, let, let's just start off if, by sharing, having you share a little bit about kind of what inspires you right now about trees. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like the trees are, um, you know, they're like, like sentinels or skeletal sentinels, like reaching up to heaven, you know. And, um, you know, they're silently putting down these deep roots and growing invisibly and silently under the soil. You know, we, we have no idea what you know, what a world there is under the soil, just like in the ocean, you know, we have no idea um, these unexplored territories. So I think of trees, I think of the selflessness of trees, giving shade, giving wood, giving fruits, giving flowers, giving healing remedies, and giving examples of tolerance and strength against all obstacles. I mean, here we are in winter, you're in Minnesota. And I just feel like, um, 
wow, all seasons, you know, freezing winter, the blazing heat of summer, torrential rains, and, and just as humans, you know, we're so destructive. Humans cut them down, clear-cutting the forests, stripping the Amazon rainforest, and destroying unknown possible herbal medicines, right? Potential lost cures for innumerable diseases, who knows what, right? And um, yeah, and I think of how our culture places humans at the top of this pyramid of power and denigrating the earth, the animals, the trees, the plant life, the aquatics, everybody's down below us. And, um, you know, I, I think of how as humans, we think of ourselves as masters of the universe, or, or if we're a bit more conscious, um, we think of ourselves as stewards of life, uh, right, on the, of all life. I'm, we are the stewards of all life on the planet. But, um, and if I can bring up the path of bhakti yoga, or what I what I would call the, the yoga of love in action, we aspire for humility, and um, and we try to invert that pyramid of power and, and place the grass and the trees at the top with um, uh, ourselves as human beings at the bottom, learning from them, trying to pay homage to them, and observing them. You know the humility of grass. I I often think the word grass is plural, right? So many individual blades of grass together in a community called grass, or the or the tolerance of trees. Like the forest is also a plural, right? It's a community of trees. Um, yeah, just reaching for heaven in this interconnected community, communicating through the air, as you said, and underground through the roots. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And as you were speaking, um, you know, the way that you described them weathering all the seasons, I was just thinking about like, imagine you and I standing outside just in one place all year long and whatever came, whatever storm, lightning, you know, blizzard, we just had to stand there and, and bear it. I mean, what a, what a life and you know 20 30 50 80 100 years of just and the oldest tree uh, i think is over 5000 years old methuselah up in in california just i mean thousands of years of just standing there tolerating what a you know what an image that is and and i was listening to this podcast um with an herbalist and she was saying how um she likens her favorite people to trees you know like like when she goes into the forests and she you know sees trees her the trees are her friends and they you know they're like the best kind of friends you can have where they just stand there and they listen and they tolerate you and all your blah, 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 blahs and ups and downs and um you know and then certainly the roles can switch but just what a great image that is of of tolerance and and real uh, just being there you know being able to just show up and be there continuously for a friend or for another person or for your community beautiful so beautiful and the way they you know they just they're there and as you say they're, they're silent and they're swaying in the wind and and in the air they're they just have such grace right and they're always giving in in communion with the other trees around them um yeah it's so interesting um and then you mentioned the redwoods um you know 
for me, the redwoods are so fascinating because they're the oldest trees in the world. They're the tallest trees in the world. But the most, I mean, there's so many amazing things, but one of the most amazing things is that they have a very shallow root system. You'd think that they would have the deepest roots of any tree, but their root system is very shallow. And as soon as one baby redwood sprouts, it immediately starts wrapping its roots around the redwood tree that's next to it. And in that way, every tree in the redwood forest is either directly or indirectly connected to every other tree. So talk about community. It's so beautiful. It's what a metaphor for the world at large, you know? We forget our interconnectivity, you know? What happens to someone in Ukraine or Syria is happening to me and is happening to my children and my future and uh, and the world. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's really, really um, that invisible divine force, the unseen, invisible divine force connecting and guiding all life, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me of the um, the work of an ecologist who discovered the mycorrhizal network, which is this fungal network underground. Basically, it's been likened to the internet. It's like the plant internet. And through these little tiny kind of white mycorrhizal fungal lines, like, you know, kind of like our lines of, that we have underground, <laughs> you know, made of silica to connect our internet, the plants have that. And um, yeah, her name is Suzanne Simard. And about two decades ago, so like 20 years ago, she discovered she was you know, doing work, trying to understand how trees communicate, like the relationship between trees. And she discovered that trees communicate their needs and send each other nutrients via a network of lattice fungi buried in the soil. And one of the things that this scientific discovery overturned was this idea of Darwin's theory of competition and survival of the fittest and that, you know, everything in nature is, is just fighting with each other for resources and nutrients and space. And, you know, it's like a battlefield, but instead what her discoveries found was that actually forests are like societies. They're actually communities. So I just wanted to read a little bit she said, or this was written um, in an article in the New York Times by Ferris Jabber, and it's called um, The Social Life of Forests. And I'll include a link to this in the description of this talk. But it said, he, or he said, an old growth forest is neither an assemblage of stoic organisms, which is Darwin's theory, tolerating one another's presence, nor is it a merciless battle royale. Instead, it's a vast, ancient, intricate society. There is conflict in a forest, but there is also negotiation, reciprocity, and even selflessness. Isn't that beautiful? It's amazing to me that that's coming from, you know, I, I'm so conscious of the gifts of the feminine voice. And I feel like, isn't that fascinating that that came from a woman's point of view, you know? And, and it's really interesting because... Um, yeah, Darwin actually, he he took ideas from the Padma Purana, one of the ancient Puranas of India, but he missed. So what is the principle that's actually evolving? He missed the soul. He missed the, because in the animal species, the, it said in the Puranas that the, the soul is just gradually going up and up and up through the species until that soul comes to the human form of life at which point we have a choice. It's like a, 
it's like a pivotal point that we can choose to go in any direction because we have this developed consciousness, which we so often misuse. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was a child, I grew up in suburban Chicago and in the Lincoln Park Zoo, there was a, um, in the lion house, they had a cage and it, up above the cage, it said the most dangerous, something like this, the most dangerous animal known in the world, something like that. So you're intrigued and you walk up to the cage and it's a mirror. Wow. <laughs> it's a mirror. So, you know, the most dangerous, destructive creature known in in the universe is ourselves, right? Wow. Or or like Pogo said, I, we have seen the enemy and he is us. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So this idea of, um, you know, living, I I love what you were saying, because to me, it's so interesting. The, you know, we think of trees as being so vertical, but the horizontal outreach of community and reciprocity. So there's this vertical outreach to each other. And then there's this, you know, horizontal outreach to each other. And then there's, there's this vertical outreach to, to heaven, I would say to, divinity to you know reaching up you know yeah and it's interesting too kind of uh, this um the idea of of the divine feminine in nature um there's this society that was created um, of researchers in british columbia um and they are um it's called the mother network they're they are um exploring the mother network uh let me just it's called the mother tree project and um basically what they're doing is they're looking at how some of these larger old growth trees are taking care of the whole forest, basically mothering the forest. And so in their mapping of the fungal network of this mycorrhizal network, their research show that the biggest and oldest trees are the most connected in nodes in the forest. These highly connected hub trees known as the mother trees share their excess carbon and nitrogen through the mycorrhizal network with the understory seedlings, which can increase seedling survival. These mother trees act in this way as central hubs communicating with the young seedlings around them. In a single forest, a mother tree can be connected to hundreds of other trees. But this is interesting. Their research showed that the kin seedlings receive more carbon from mother trees than stranger seedlings do. So they actually feed their own seedlings more. However, they will send carbon to other seedlings in the neighborhood as well. They've also found that they will sometimes send um, this carbon cross species. So there are some other like um, balsam fir and birch species that these mother trees will also feed. So, I mean, (laughs) isn't that just amazing? Amazing interconnectivity. Um, this is this is the spirituality of of existence. This is what's so important for us to understand. It's so interesting, you know, to look at, you know, I love our conversation because we're looking at science and we're looking at spirituality and we're looking at how they, you know, how they come together. And um, you know, another thing about the, uh, you know, the so-called stewardship of the forest or the stewardship of the earth, I found it really interesting about the redwood trees that. There was one point where the rangers in the redwood forest were noticing that no new baby redwoods were were sprouting up and they didn't know why. And they started researching it and they realized that they were taking such good care, such good stewardship of the forest 
that they were preventing forest fires and forest fires are necessary mm. to crack open that very, very hard seed of the redwood tree. So, so that intense heat of the redwood, of the, fo of the forest fire cracks open the redwood seed. And then the little, the seed can nestle in the ash from the forest fire. And then because some trees have been burnt down, just the right amount of light, isn't this divinity working in action? You know, Just the right amount of light comes through the, the uh, trees to allow those seeds to sprout in that, in, as they're nestled in that ash. Yeah. And so it's amazing how destructive we can be when, I almost think of it as like, you know, like a little child trying to help the the butterfly come out of the chrysalis, right? I'll just, I'll just help because I'm, I'm so friendly, but no, um, you know, we can so easily interfere with nature if we, if we don't respect nature and honor um, its inter, interworkings. And yeah. Yeah. Because natural, if you open up the, the, the cocoon, the butterfly's wings aren't strong enough. It's that pushing against the cocoon and that fighting through that get, that dries and prepares its wings to fly. And, you know, we think we're doing this help, but, you know, um, yeah, we just don't know enough. I, you know, where our minds are so, you know, we use such a small amount of our brains and we have such limited capacity. I mean, like you said at the beginning, you know, we think of ourselves at, at the top of this network, uh, of this pyramid. But, you know, when we look at the trees in this way, and as we start to really understand their intelligence, it's like, well... We don't really know that much, do we? Yeah, and I think it, it really needs to evoke humility. I mean, we're talking about tolerance and how the trees show us strength and show us tolerance, but how much humility um, it needs to evoke in our hearts. I, I always think of, of how in India, they always compare a wise person with a tree that's heavy laden with fruits, the way a tree that's heavy laden with fruits will bend down. So that's wise true. people bend down in humility. They're not, you know, erect and, and feeling so proud, but they're, so I, I think all of this that we're uncovering or that have been, that's been uncovered for us by, you know, greater minds than ourselves. I think it has to evoke some sense of humility and, and, um, you know, how can we also reciprocate? How how can I listen better? How can I approach the forest in silence and in, um, and in respect, you know? Yeah. Um, and we, you know, it's, it's interesting to look at the ways that, you know, I think there's, there's a renewed interest since COVID, since the pandemic, you know, there's a renewed, you know, when we were stuck in our houses for so long, people got back to nature. It was like, well, that was a safe place was to be outdoors in the woods. And so, you know, I, I think that there is um, one of the gifts of the pandemic has been a reconnection with nature and the natural world and how important it is for our mental health. And in our I know one of our talks we did on evergreens, we yeah. talked about that compound alpha pinene found in pine trees, that in a pine forest, it's shown to be anti-anxiety, uh, antidepressant, just breathing in those volatile oils is so good for our central nervous system and for our mental health. So you know, I think, yeah, there's, there's just, there's, we're, we're starting to renew our interests, which I think is great. And, and even if we go back to other, you know, very prolific writers and thinkers, like you and I were talking about Tolkien, who wrote the uh, Lord of the Rings series. 
and, you know, how just so many ways that nature shows up in some of these epic, you know, adventures or, you know, in, in the stories of Krishna, like Krishna in the forests with the Tulsi and all the plants and the, the trees, just, you know, the impact that these writers have, their imagination has evoked in our minds and Tolkien in particular as a, as a really early environmentalist. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting, you know, um, when you think also, I mean, just going back to this cracking of the redwood seed and the, and the impact of crisis, you know, that, um, you know, can we tolerate some kind of um, fire of ordeal in order to experience some kind of unseen miracles or new growth? You know, I was, I was just thinking I have this sign in my bathroom that that um, says that there are two ways to to live in the world. One is though everything is a miracle and one is though nothing is a miracle. So one is about the first is about recip- reciprocity and humility and being open to hear and to learn. You know, I have this nice quote from John Muir. He says, I went out for a walk and stayed out till sundown for by going out, I found was really going in. Ah. Like that. And then he says, this grand show of nature is eternal. I love this. He says, it is always sunrise somewhere. The dew is never all dried at once. A shower is forever falling, vapor ever rising. So beautiful. And then if I could share one more from him, just to keep them all together, because this one's also beautiful. He says, God has cared for these trees, saved them from drought, disease, avalanches, and a thousand tempests and floods, but he cannot save them from fools. Wow. Yeah. And this is kind of what Tolkien was saying, you know, in his you know, in his writings too, you know, the power of these, these forests in in middle earth. Um, so it was really interesting because, you know, in, in his books, he portrays nature as a living, breathing entity. You know, he, he was trying to show that these forests, that they all work together and that nature was serving in the Lord of the Rings, serving, um, you know, all of the characters as a mentor, you know, that was one of his, his intentions, um, that nature serves as a mentor, guiding its visitors, though not always in the desired direction, providing them with hiding places and encouraging their internal growth. Amazing. Amazing. And, you know, that reminds me that, you know, in India, um, all trees are respected, all plants are respected traditionally anyway, but um, certain trees are considered very sacred. And um, the banyan tree, you know, the banyan tree, which could be like 2000 feet across, it's like a whole forest in itself. Mm. And, And the whole community would be sheltering under a banyan tree, like holy people would be sitting there and speaking, their knowledge under the banyan tree or merchants are doing their negotiations, selling their stuff, whatever. And students, kids are are there under the banyan tree in community, learning their lessons. And uh, it's such a beautiful thing. And then, and then the Tulsi tree, I mean, you as an herbalist can speak so much about the Tulsi, but, you know, according to tradition, the Tulsi is a goddess who's taken the shape of a tree in order to um, help us access 
the path of devotion. So she's like a a goddess messenger who can can take our you know our prayers and and bring them to the lotus feet of Krishna. Mm. So it's so beautiful. And at the same time, maybe you can share about how medicinal Tulsi is. Yeah. You know. I mean, it's, I think when we, I love the way that you described these examples, because I think, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, well, a forest, but then when we think of the image of a banyan tree, so many of us can imagine that and the the gifts it brings. And yeah, Tulsi is a plant I use in my practice a lot. Um, I grow it, I grow it in our altar room just as, as more of like a worshipable, um, you know, deity, but then I use other varieties as a, as a plant medicine. And I actually just use some in a tea for my girls because it's wonderful for the immune system. You know, I think of, of Tulsi as they call it an adaptogen. So it helps our bodies adapt to stress and adapt. It helps our immune system adapt to, you know, whatever's coming in, which in our family is constant colds and <laughs> all the other things you get with small children. Um, so it's just really, it's like a fortifier, you know, it fortifies us from the inside out so that, you know, we can be in community. We can be strong and resilient inside. Um, and then, you know, we can also go into community having energy and having reserves and having a robust immune system, um, having decreased anxiety, you know, so it's a great plant that I think, yeah, it helps, helps people to move, to move through community and individuality in a really sweet way. Beautiful. And, you know, the holy dom or the holy place of Krishna, which is called Sri Vrindavan Dam, Dam means a holy sacred place, is Vrindavan. And Vrindavan is named after Tulsi. Vrinda is another name for Tulsi. So that holy, like you're talking about the sheltering, fortifying um, community of, of, um, of trees is what we're talking about. But here, this is this holy dom, which mm -hmm. is named after the goddess Tulsi for yeah. um, you know it's actually a replica of the spiritual world in this 60 square mile area uh southeast of delhi so it's it's considered to be all holy places are like a replica of the spiritual well, like an embassy wow. or an emissary of the spiritual world so that's really beautiful and she and tulsi's considered a wish fulfilling tree so whatever you may you may wish you can you can ask tulsi to help um fulfill your wishes and and Krishna always accepts offerings of with a Tulsi leaf on top. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's like she's she's like in a you know, like Mother Mary in the Christian tradition. They pray to Mother Mary to access the grace of God. So this idea of intercessionary um mentors or, or personalities. So Tulsi is like an intercessionary um goddess who who carries our prayers um to to divinity to Krishna. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of um, tree hugging. You know, it's like some, you know, I, I have a lot of friends in the herbal world who, you know, they're not so sure about God, you know, this idea of, of, of this person or this, you know, like thing that's controlling it all, but they do believe in the power of nature and they do see that there is some universal field that is intelligent and wise. And, um, you know, when you were talking about, you know, Tulsi as being that emissary, that connection to Krishna, it's like, I imagine all of my hippie friends <laughs> and hugging <laughs> trees and like there as a, as when you hug a tree, maybe you can speak more to this. I know, you know, a little bit more about the history, but 
you know, you're connecting to that deep mycorrhizal network. I mean, you're connecting to that whole internet underground and then all of the branches and, you know, all of that upward energy that's above. And like, if that's not, I mean, I, my, my daughter, my youngest one daughter, Summer, she's a tree hugger and she just started doing it when she was two. And now even in the winter, she'll see a tree. She'll be like, mom, I'm going to go hug that tree. That tree needs love. So she, she (laughs) believes that, that it's not, she's taking from the tree. She's actually giving to the tree and, and that one needs attention. And it's just such a beautiful, uh, you know, there's so many ways they say there's no one, so many ways to kneel and kiss the earth, kiss the right? Ground, right? So beautiful. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, well, the roots of the tree hugging movement, it's really interesting. And again, it mostly comes from the women. These uh, It's called the Chipko. Chipko actually means to hug. And there was this Chipko movement when loggers were up in the Himalayan forests and they were trying to chop down the trees and the villagers, and they were mostly women. They went and they were hugging the trees really, you know, at the risk of their own lives. You want to cut this tree, you kill me first. Mm. They were hugging the trees to protect the trees from loggers. And it eventually came, um, this is in the 1970s and 80s. And it eventually came, um, led to the India's um, Forest Conservation Act in, in 1980. And it was calling attention to the interdependence between humans and the natural way of life. Mm, so it's so 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 beautiful and I love the idea of your little daughter you know she wants to give and she's she wants to give and she's receiving so isn't love so circular you know how our roots if I go up and hug a tree how my unseen roots will go deep into the into the earth into unseen gifts and unseen um treasures you know yeah receiving it's like To me, it's almost like a kirtan, like we were talking about how trees are communicating through the air and through their roots. But, you know, the idea of kirtan or chanting the holy name, it's like a call and a response. So isn't that beautiful, this circular love that I I put out my call and I receive a response and it goes around and around and Mm. all our interconnectivity and and, uh, love put out and love received and gifts get put, put, put out and gifts received very, very beautiful to me. Yeah, it really is. And it, it it just, I think in a world where we can feel so isolated and alone, that what we're all the things we're talking about today are just another reminder that we're never alone and that we are so connected to nature, to each other. And as simple as just getting, you know, taking off your shoes and walking on the earth and just having that image, um, putting your hands up, feet barefoot on the earth. I mean, how how can you not feel connected to something larger just in that simple act? It's so true. You know, you're reminding me, I, I saw a podcast. It was a TED Talk recently. And uh, this woman was speaking about depression and her experience with depression. She wanted, She and her husband wanted very, very much to have a, a baby. And they were trying in vitro and they were trying in so many ways. And they were getting so depressed and so desperate and then they started reaching out um, to native to indigenous communities and taking part in some of the um, you know the give and take of revealing their minds and their hearts in community with some indigenous people and all of this I wish I could remember the name of the podcast it was a TED talk but if I guess if we look up depression 
it would pop up because she started receiving so much serendipity and so much, um, so many gifts. And, and then, you know, the question came, was she open to adopt? She wanted, wanted, wanted her own baby. Was she open to adopt? And this so often happens. Maybe you've heard of this yourself. So when they open themselves up to adopt some lovely, perfect, and they really wanted a little girl. But this lovely, lovely boy came across their, um, you know, their world. Someone connected them with someone else. And they found this lovely little boy who just wanted love. Mm. And they adopted him. And, and then practically as soon as they adopted him, she became pregnant with their little girl. Mm. Wow. So amazing. <laughs> so you know, opening up to the serendipity and the gifts that are beyond my logical you know, rational, you know, mind, which is really so limiting, you know? Yeah. And I love that it was, you know, part of that was reaching out to people like an indigenous community who are connected more closely with nature and with the planets and plants and, you know, that, that larger fellowship. Um, I know you and I both love Robin Wall Kimmerer who wrote Braiding Sweetgrass and just this idea of of kinship that we share with the natural world and you know how uh, how healing that is and you know a lot of anxiety and depression might go away when we realize you know as mary oliver says our our place among all things you know like what is our little place among all things um, it can give us a perspective that kind of takes the pressure off a little bit. Like we don't have to do all these big things. We don't have to find our life purpose and then share it with the world and then become a mega star and then leave, <laughs> leave a thousand year legacy. Like actually it's okay to just live a very simple life and yeah. be, and actually just know your place among all things. Like Beautiful. I love it. I love the quote from Mother Teresa where she says that we can do no great things, only small things with great love. Mm. And that's, I think, such important mentoring for all of us, because I think it's a, you know, it's a very Western thing. It's not an indigenous thing because mm. the indigenous the indigenous people were so much attuned to nature and the mentor, as you said, the mentorship of nature. As a matter of fact, um, when, when uh, my husband and I went up to upstate New York and visited the um, Seneca Falls, where they, where the first women suffragettes had their, it wasn't even a concept yet, but they had their first conference talking about the idea of women's women's rights, and eventually it became, actually it was suggested by an African-American man, Frederick Douglass, if you don't ask for the vote, you're not going to get any, any of these other things. But then they found that the Native women that they were meeting in that area they had so much um, uh, synchronicity and so much, so much justice between between the men and the women in their communities that was unknown in Europe um, and among the European the people in America who'd come from Europe. So yeah, just the uh, you know to be more attuned to what the indigenous people um, have gleaned from nature. You know, yeah, it's so so important. Um, yeah. Yeah, I wanted um I was thinking about too just the 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 power we have when we're connected to one another because I think you know 
when when we unite, when we unite our voices with other like-minded souls, when we, you know, find community and spiritual groups or, you know, any group where, you know, we feel like we found our 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 group or our tribe, you know, like how empowering that is. And I, there's this, um, the art, the, the oldest colony of trees is actually in Utah. And I just found this to be fascinating. So Aspen trees don't have their own individual roots and they don't, they don't give, they don't make babies by seeds. They actually just clone themselves. And so the, the actual largest olding live oldest living organism and the largest and the most weighty by mass is this huge clonal network of aspen trees it takes up 116 acres which is like 42 hectares i mean that's like huge i was looking at a picture of the map and they say it's about 15,000 years old this network so talk about what lasts like what perseveres and so you know when we when we try not to make up things on our own you know it's like you know we all do it. We all are like, well, oh, I have this idea. This is my own unique thing, which that, you know, it, not to discredit our own creativity, but there's something that lasts and and endures through time when we're a part of something larger, you know? So beautiful. So beautiful. To me, it's like collecting heirloom seeds as opposed to genetically altered seeds. And I feel like in our culture, we've received genetically altered seeds, not only in terms of seeds themselves, but in our concepts, in 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 our beliefs, mm. in our faith that we accept. It's been genetically manipulated and altered. And if we can move away from that and move closer to that, again, that mentorship of nature to receive the, the ancient heirloom knowledge and seeds of and gifts of knowledge. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Oh, so I, I think our time is coming to a close, but I know you had, I think one of our shared favorite poems from Mary Oliver. Would you share that with our listeners? Love to. I would love to. All respects to dear Mary Oliver. Mm. So she says, when I am among trees, especially the willows and the honey locust, especially the beech, the oaks and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness. I would almost say that they save me and daily. I am so distant from the hope of myself. This is what we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. In which I have goodness and discernment. And I never hurry through the world, but walk slowly and bow often. Around me, the trees stir in their leaves and call out, stay a while. The light flows from their branches and they call again. It's simple, they say. And you too have come into this world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light and to shine. Mm. <laughs> Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Mary Oliver. I know. I know. I, I, I feel deeply. I feel like she's like... You know, they say that, um, you know, you're given a birth mother, but you can gather other mothers along the way. <laughs> I feel like she's in my pocket as a, a mother figure. So walk through the woods, right? Yeah. So thank you for reading that. And 
What a lovely discussion. I, I, I would love for our listeners to reflect back to us, you know, your thoughts and what stood out to you. And if there's any, any parts of tree life that inspires you or community life that points you back to trees, um, right? Like it's just, it's so interesting what our community can, can mirror and, and share back with us. Yeah. So I think a message that trees give us is a message of unity and diversity. They're individuals and they're in unity as community, but they're also um, unique. So I think we need that in human society, a community of unity and diversity, honoring the stranger. I mean, what is what is community but to welcome the stranger? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and humility is to honor the other. So I think that we need more of this in our human community. Gifts of the tree. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Rukmini. Thank you to all of our listeners and watchers. And we will see you again for another episode next month. Take care, everyone.